please rise for the reading of God's word. Our text this morning is in Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, which can be found on page 976 in your pew Bible. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for the adoption for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. This is God's word. Amen. You can be seated. It is great to be with you here this morning. It's both exciting and a little nerve-wracking. Uh, it's exciting because uh, the Life on Mission conference happened, and get a chance to partner with you all and allow you all to allow our church, part of your church is is wonderful. Uh, it's a, it's exciting. Uh, in my life, I've not been a part of a church <clears throat> who pulpit swapped another local church. I'm sure it's happened uh, in the history of the world, uh, but not happened uh, around us. And so the fact that there can be a brotherhood and partnership and sisterhood in that endeavor and um, glad to have uh, to be a part of that. So that's wonderful. Um, if you missed the Life on Mission conference, uh, it's always good to be able to tell your people, hey, I'm really sorry you missed it. It was so good. Uh, I'm sad that you didn't get a chance to be a part of that. If you weren't able to this time around, I want to encourage you in future uh, future years, uh, times, to set your calendar so that you can be a part of things like that. It was really, uh, really wonderful. Uh, I'm thankful that Brandon's preaching to my uh, to our congregation, FBC Sudbury. I, uh, I have a great uh, affection for Brandon. Uh, because he knows that he's loved by Jesus. And because of that, uh, it makes him a true lover of Jesus. And because he's a true lover of Jesus and pastor, uh, he, uh, you know that he truly loves the word and that he truly loves the Lord's church, both universal but uh, also locally. He really loves you. And you need to know that uh, as his congregation. Uh, so I, I want, and I want to encourage you as a congregation. Uh, then this is coming straight from me, Brandon. I did not have a deal on the stuck on the side to say, "Hey, really tell our people this right here, would you?" Um, this is coming just from me and in, in, in my own heart. But I want, I want to encourage you uh, to know the blessing that you have in in Brandon Levering, and and as the scriptures say, uh, give him double honor, and uh, forgive his imperfections, and and follow him as he's doing uh, his best in Christ's grace to follow Christ. And uh, I trust there's great, great days ahead uh, for Westgate Church. Um, it's very nerve-wracking to be here, just uh, uh, on a lot of levels, but uh, uh, mostly because Brandon's preaching at, at my church. So if you get an influx of visitors next week, you, you tell them to go back, all right? 
you tell them, you tell them, you say, we know, but you need to go home. <laughs> uh, do, do you have a person uh, or people in your life uh, who love to tell stories? Do you have, do you have something like that? My, uh, my granddad, uh, he was a great storyteller. Uh, he would tell me stories about as I was growing up. I got a chance to live close to my grandparents. And he'd tell me stories about the military, uh, about his growing up days in the uh, hills of East Tennessee and all kinds of or revelry that went on around on there. Uh, my dad follows that line. He's a great story weaver, and I have, uh, I have great memories of myself and my sister uh, just being around the kitchen table and stuff. My dad telling stories about junior high and high school, uh, you know, stories, uh, and then also in the military and stuff like that, and things he did, and pranks he played and got played on, all that kind of stuff. I, it's, it's wonderful. It, it's, it's a blessing to have somebody like that. They just really enjoy telling the story. And, and I think that everyone has a story to tell, right? Everybody has experiences in life, and uh, they want to tell um, they want to tell their story. Even I even have uh, friends in my life who are pretty introverted, um, and they don't talk a whole lot or tell a whole lot. And, the, and I think of their own testimony, they would say their lives aren't overly exciting. But if I can get them, some of them, I have, I have a couple in mind, that if I can get them to talk about things about science uh, or engineering, uh, they, they start to light up. Now, the honest truth is I have zero idea. Uh, anything about science or engineering. I'm, I'm lousy at all aspects of those things. But if I can get them talking about those things, they start saying things, and it takes me into a whole new world. They just start popping off about, uh, you know, about things I can't even articulate to you, quite honestly. Uh, but, I, but I can tell by their body language and the tone of their voice that they love talking about those things, about chemicals and equations and all this stuff. And I'm like, and I'm, like I'm, I, and I truly enjoy it. I have, I have zero idea what they're talking about, but I enjoy listening to them talk about what they truly enjoy. Everyone has story to tell, which is why uh, we had this Life on Mission conference, because we believe as followers of Christ, we have a better story to tell that we have something that's the most powerful, the most transformative, the most life-changing, that we're to declare to a world because the story we have to tell as followers of Christ is, is, an, an, is an eternal story. It lasts forever. And there is no other story on earth like that. And so the passage this morning is, is out of Ephesians. It's actually a sermon that I preached to, to my congregation uh, about two months ago or three months ago, now the end of January. And, uh, and so I'm going, to, uh, I'm going to sort of give you an overview and we'll sort of try to catch you up in that series. But the, but the point, the main point is this, that we ought to long, as followers of Christ, we ought to long to tell a better story, uh, the best story, so that we can praise God for his glory. We ought to long to tell a better story so that we can praise God for his glory. Um, I, I led my church in, in the first week of the series through 1 Corinthians 15, which is basically told what the gospel is. It's that Jesus Christ died and rose from the dead, period. And without the historical and physical death and resurrection of Christ, the very best thing we would have as a body of, of body believers would be a really nice parable. And, and the worst thing we would have is a gargantuan lie. And we would be doing all this in vain. And Paul even tells us we'd be a people to be most pitied if Christ had not died 
and rose again. 1 Corinthians 15 also tells us that Christ died for our sins. That's why he died and rose again. There are two main reasons that Christ died. It's for his glory and for our benefit. The latter, right? The benefit to save us from our sins and to be saved from our sins relieves us from the penalty of death. And the former, right, his glory directs the gratitude for our relief from that debt. So, so Christ died and rose again, and he did this for our sins. And, and the passage in 1 Corinthians 15 says that we are saved if we hold fast to the gospel. The good news is that Christ died and rose again for our sins. And to hold, fat, to hold fast is not to be morally perfect or to lack doubt. To hold fast is to both fail Christ and question Christ, but still believe that God and His grace and mercy is faithful to hold true to His promise. He's captured our hearts. And that's the gospel that we hold fast to, that Christ died and rose again for our sins. And when we receive that, nothing can change that. Nothing can take that away. Not even our own sinfulness. So we go and tell people this better story. There's lots of other things to say uh, other than this, uh, because as we're trying to build relationship and tell this better story, it's a really hard lead to walk to somebody that you don't know or trying to develop relationship with and be like, hey, how are you doing? Jesus died for your sins. It's good news to us, but it's a sort of an affront to other people. Right. So we have a conversation to enter into. Hey, how are you doing? You're looking sharp today. Thanks for all the hard work. Hey, would you like to like to grab some coffee or catch a game or hey what's what's your family like how did you grow up what do you like to do in your free time surely the red sox are going to win it all again this year right hey what's your spiritual background what's your faith tradition does it it have any effect on you now do you even care about it these are things these are things that we we build relationship with people because we actually aren't trying to make people a project, right? We actually care about their souls. We care about them as a person. So we want to get to know them in hopes to earn the right to tell them that Jesus Christ died and rose again historically. In reality, faith. And and after we tell them that that Christ died and rose again for their sins, we, we have more to say after that, right? God's creator and king and father. Our sin against such a good God could only mean death. Jesus, though, paid the way so we don't have to die. So trust Christ with all your life. That interests you? Great. Can we read the Bible together? Would you like to to meet for coffee once a week and just go through a short book of scriptures? (coughs) We do these things. Uh, so that we can tell this better story. But this is what the gospel is. We tell them the, the, the core of it, and then we hopefully it earns us the right as the Holy Spirit leads and directs to tell them the fuller picture of the entire gospel, what the scriptures have to tell us. I then, uh, we then talked about John chapter 4, that the gospel, with the gospel, there's no limit to where the gospel goes. And many of you, I think, are familiar with John chapter 4 and Jesus sharing with the lady at the well. And and that story shows us that Jesus took the gospel everywhere, even at the risk of his reputation, because Jews didn't go through Samaria. 
And Jesus took the gospel to anyone and everyone, even at the risk of ridicule of his closest companions as the disciples roll up and say, hey, why are you talking to that lady at the well at noon hour? Because she's probably not the kind of lady we would typically talk to. (laughs) But Jesus doesn't care when it comes to the gospel. He just needs people to be saved. And when Jesus talked to her, he applied the good news, the gospel, right, to all uh, to, to, to all the bad news, right? He tells the lady, hey, give me some water. She says, why do you ask me for water? And then he turns around and says, hey, I'll give you living water. And this starts this conversation. And in the context of that conversation, he, he exposes who she is. He takes the everlasting life and applies it to her bad news. He exposes her temporary fulfillments, even as he exposes our temporary fulfillments as mere vapors, that they're false, they're hopeless. And he exposes them so that you have this opportunity to live a life now of eternal substance, of eternal truth, of everlasting assurance. Brothers and sisters in the Lord, if you are living in sin today, if you are wrestling with sin today, let Christ expose you as you encounter him through your through the word. And then once he exposes you, go and confess it to someone else and and trust a person you can really trust and let that person be a real friend and pray for you and hold you accountable and extend God's grace to you so that you can know freedom in this life. There is no desire that Jesus doesn't fulfill. You might say, I've got all kinds of desires that are unfulfilled. Maybe you've got a big bucket list that you haven't accomplished yet. Maybe you're early on in life and you've got a huge bucket list. Maybe you're later on in life and your bucket list has gotten shorter. But you're like, hey, these things aren't fulfilled in my life yet. Jesus is not trying to fill your bucket list. That's not his mission. That's not his desire. Christ's desire is to put in you his desires for the things that are most eternal. And he's trying to get those 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 deepest longings to come to the surface and consume your whole life and push out the bucket list and 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 bring to light the eternal goodness of him so that your life is in fact most fulfilling uh, i then uh, preached to them second corinthians 5 and what gives us the motivations for having gospel conversations and there we talked that the the fear of the Lord causes us to persuade people for the sake of Christ. So we clearly have a bent as Christians. We have an angle. We're not just coming with, you know, hope this, hope this works for you sort of attitude. We've been changed and transformed by the Holy Spirit. That's what we say. That's what the Scriptures tells us ought to happen in our lives. So when we're going to someone, we care about them, we listen to them, but we have a piece of, of a news that we want to tell them. And the love of Christ compels us to do that, right? The fear of the Lord causes us to persuade. The love of Christ people compels us to proclaim to them. Uh, eternity makes us hopeful, N- not only of our own salvation, but that, that some people actually might want to hear the gospel. Uh, verse 16 of, of 2 Corinthians 5, don't, don't try to turn to it, but just he, it says, here it says from now on therefore we regard no one according to the flesh 
as Christians, when we look around at the universe, look around at our friends and our spheres of influence, we don't see people just simply as bodies or numbers. We see souls. We see, we see beings that carry on for all eternity. And that drives us to something different. That drives us, to compels us to, to actually share the faith. It makes us hopeful that they actually might want to hear about eternity. In that same passage, Christ calls us ambassadors. And that makes us dutiful. We have an obligation to tell the best story. I mean, we should be compelled by Christ's love for sure. But we're, but we're weak and we're frail and we're feeble. And all of a sudden we go a day or we go weeks or months or even years and we realize, I haven't told anybody. I haven't told anybody about Jesus in the last six months, six weeks, six years. And the verse like being an ambassador reminds us that we have a job, that we are submissive and surrendered to a king, and that he commands us to go and make disciples. We can't can't get away from that. We can't get out of that. We we can't look and say, oh, I don't have to get to evangelism, so, so someone else will accomplish that. No, no, no. No, no, that's for you. And it's for me. So we, we have this, des- this desire. And, and the last part of 2 Corinthians 5 says that, that, that the reconciliation of Christ will actually bring us the most ultimate happiness, right? Because he says, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And, and the grace of Christ opens up this transforming truth in our lives and our minds and said that the righteousness of Christ is actually what makes me the happiest. And that helps us, that gives us godly wisdom to discern between what's temporary and what's eternal. So the temporary stuff, though, though gifts from God and enjoyable, don't make us the most happy. But what makes us the most happy is Christ himself. And all of that gets us to this passage in Ephesians, which was read. And it tells us that we are to tell the gospel story so that we can praise God for his glory. And so let's just look at what this salvation entails that we're going to tell people about. The gospel, a, a, a gospel story then allows us to offer every spiritual blessing to the praise of his glorious grace. This is what verses 3 through 6 tell us. Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. This is anything to do with eternity as heirs to the throne of God. These blessings that are in, and, and then he identifies them as in, in, in place and in time. These are offered in the heavenly places. This is where the blessings come from. They are, they are in heaven and ultimately at the time of our seeing Jesus face to face. This is when this will be realized. We are clearly a people as Christians who live in a few, with, with the hope of a future glory. So we're telling the gospel to people. Part of the attraction is that which is everlasting. And the blessings that come that never end. So what does this actually look like for us? How do we experience that in our space in time? Well, verse 4 helps us with that. It says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, we should be holy and blameless before him. And as you, I'm sure Brother Brandon has preached many a times that holiness is for us to be set apart. And we are clearly set apart now in time and space. 
But the good news of the gospel is that there will actually be no wrestling with our old nature in eternity. He's called us to live holiness. He's called us to deny the pleasures of the world, the sinful things of our flesh, and to take up Christ's holiness and the righteousness that he's imputed into our lives. And he's saying, live in that. This is where your happiness will be. And there'll be a day where you have every spiritual blessing, where there is no more sin to wrestle with. Not for today. Today's just the, the joy of the position that we have in Christ, the victories that we have over sin and death in today's world. But there's still this wrestling. But the gospel that we're telling about says one day that ends. All the bad stuff goes away. And we actually stand blameless before him. Uh, blameless, without accusation. Won't that be great? Can you stop? Have you, have you meditated on that lately? That there will be a day in your life for all eternity where no one will accuse you of any wrongdoing. You will stand blameless before God and all the people in eternity in heaven. That sounds really refreshing to me. That sounds really delightful to me. It sounds like it ought to be an aim for the local body of the church. That we would, we would hold each other accountable in the grace of Christ. So that we don't stand accusing in our own righteousness and perfection, but we stand loving, saying, come back to the Lord, who gives, it, gives you freedom from accusation. And he does all these things in love. He predestined us before the foundations of the world. He adopts us as sons and daughters, giving us the full right to all that he has for us. And all this, right, all this is to the praise of his glorious grace. We tell this good news. We tell a better story because ultimately God gets the glory for the grace by which he's given us this story. So, so what do we do with that? If we have this good news, again, it's part of the first conversation that you'll have with a lost person. But as you keep trying to tell people who are willing to listen about what this great salvation is, you're able to tell them, hey, there is a God who makes you holy and blameless for all eternity. He makes you a son and daughter and, and you get to rest in him. What do you do with that? I want to encourage you to let your actions speak really, really loud. See, because everybody in your workplace or at your school or in your neighborhood, they're watching your actions. Not because they're uh, not because they're uh, paranoid, but because that's what we all do. Right. We all we all take notice of what's going on around us. And so the aim of the Christian then is to live in such a way that we will take notice there's something different. There's something distinct about our life, our household, uh, how we treat other people. We need to live holy. We need to deny yourself the pleasures of the world and take up the pleasures of Christ. When, when you do that, if you hang around, if, if you have people in your life, life that are lost people, if you spend enough time with them, you will see they enjoy the things of the world. And if you spend enough time with them, there will come a place in time where you will have to say no. Because your convictions and Christ's holiness demands you to say no. I cannot participate in that. Uh, it, may, it may have you coming off as holier than thou. It may, it, may, it may roll the dice on the relationship and friendship that you've had with those people. 
But it's worth it because you're making a distinction about who Christ is and what he says is good and what, who the world is and what the world says is good. And now all of a sudden, it's distinct. Now all of a sudden, there's something to talk about. And when you do this, potentially, for those who have ears to hear it, you'll give people hope. Uh, there's an there's a off-quoted thing uh, uh, off-quoted quote by Francis of Assisi that says, preach the gospel and use words if necessary. A uh, little Google search will help you understand that's probably not what Francis of Assisi said, and he probably didn't believe it at all. So in fact, we must eventually tell them, we should act in this way in the holiness of Christ, but eventually we have to tell them that there could be a day in a day for them when what is wrong in their life or what is wrong in the world will be made right by the God who died and rose again for them and who gives them every spiritual blessing because of that and that they can actually live free both now and for all of eternity. The better story allows us to offer every spiritual blessing to the praise of his glorious grace. There's other gospel like that. A better story also allows us to offer the riches of God's grace. That's what verses 7 through 10 tell us. In him we have the redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite All things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. Isn't it great to be able to tell about redemption through his blood? Redemption being literally bought out of slavery. And you may hear that this morning and be like, well, I don't really feel like a slave. I don't don't typically get up in the morning and do my hair and brush my teeth and look in the mirror and go, hey, you know, you're a slave. It's not how my disposition is. And, and that's, that's probably okay that you don't do it all the time like that. But as Christians, sometimes we have, we have more of a tendency, if you're faithful to the Lord and you're a churchgoer and you do this thing, we have a tendency to forget that we were slaves at all. Or we forget that we had the potential to be enslaved, if it not for Christ and his precious blood that bought us out of slavery, redeemed. And he does this right when he redeems us it's for the forgiveness of our sins because our sins are first and foremost against christ i think as christians uh, the pendulum falsely swings in both ways because there's certain times it seems like in my life that i am relying on my own goodness and while i use good work word speak to talk about God's grace and God's sufficiency. The reality is I'm lying. I'm relying on my own goodness. Well, I, Hey, I'm a minister, right? I'm, I'm, I'm ordained. I preach the gospel every Sunday. Uh, I lead a church. Surely I'm okay. And I, and I'm banking on this rights I have, or the pendulum goes the other direction. And I know my own heart. I know my own sin. I know the devastatingness of it is, the the wrestling and the struggles. And and I have these thoughts about, well, geez, I've been a Christian since I was seven years old. Surely I should have overcome this problem by now. And that leads to lies from the devil that say, you know what? You're probably unredeemable. (laughs) You, You probably are just out of luck by now. After 30, 40 years, you're probably just, you know, 
it's probably no good for you. You should probably try something else. You should probably just quit. This is the way the pendulum swings. But but there there is a perfect middle, right? That we're aiming for. We don't always live in it, but it, it exists. And, and where, it, where it is is the confession of sin against the Holy God, followed by us receiving the grace that the Bible says He lavishes upon us. Like He gives us in droves. Not like a drop of grace or a sprinkle or, you know, like, like he, he lavishes His grace on you. For those of you who find yourself more than worthy, you need to think about the magnificence and expansion of all eternity and how His grace runs. For those of you who are sure you can't be saved, your sins can't be forgiven, you also need to think about the magnitude of eternity and why, why it is that his, how it is that His lavishness is much, much greater than your insecurity. He holds you. He takes care of you. And He does this ultimately for the unification of all things, right? His plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Christ. When I think about the unification of things, I, I, it, it leads me, just the word itself, sort of like to the Unitarian Church for some reason, maybe because I'm demented. But the Unitarian Church, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't even have a trinity, right? They don't believe in God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They think Christ is a moral example. They deny good foundational doctrines like original sin and predestination and the infallibility of the Scriptures. If you want to experience it, you can go to King's Chapel downtown as it's the first Unitarian church in New England that was established in 1784. And as an offshoot of that, you could, you know, you could give Unitarian Universalists a go. And formally, that began in 1961. And where the desire there is for spiritual truth of any kind. For them, it's not about the destination. It's about the journey. It's the, it's the perfect Harley-Davidson religion. I, I don't doubt that there is, uh, by God's grace, right? By His, His overarching grace, there is right and wrong within us. But how, it's, how the world has taken it and formed right and wrong simply by your family or by your culture proves how much we need someone. We need Christ who is so much greater than family and culture to establish what is true and right. So we have to tell people then, right, if this is who God is, that he has, he has redeemed us from what is objectively wrong against him. And then according to the riches of his grace, he lavished that redemption upon us. We've got to tell people that Christianity, that Jesus Christ, is actually more than they can imagine. The problem is not that they've apprehended it. The problem is they think that God is apprehendable. But he's not. He's far more than we can ask or imagine. And it includes this unbelievable sacrifice of God the Son. It includes a freedom from all wrongdoing positionally. Not that we would become perfect in this life, but the things that we do now are not counted against you and I because Christ himself bore that price. We need to tell people that Christ brings all things in heaven and on earth into perfect unity. And then when you tell them all those good things, tell them it's free. Tell them that they don't have to do anything to earn it. 
And it should just be this. My suspicion is when you tell them that it's free, it should send them. If they're really paying attention, if they're really connecting, it probably should send them reeling. Because there's just no other religion on the earth that tells you that it's free. All the other ones tell you that you have to do a something. You have to become a something. You have to earn a something. But it's not the gospel of Christ. The gospel of Christ is that it's absolutely free. And you'll want to follow that up by telling them that it didn't come cheaply. It's free, but it's not cheap. It was bought and paid for by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. We have this great story about the riches of his grace. And in that richness, he gives us salvation. A better story then allows us then to to offer eternal life to the praise of his glory. Verses 11 and 12. We've obtained this inheritance and been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Again, tell them it is forever. Probably one of the biggest problems, I think, when we talk to people in, 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 our, in the, the post-postmodernism, just where everything sort of is supposed to work out, is that people actually think that just somehow it's going to work out in the end. Right? This is what people think. Like, I, we're not really sure what happened. It's sort of agnostic, potentially. Right? There's this great being. We can't really know him. And somehow it all sort of pans out. Could be atheistic in the sense all of this religion is meaningless. And it works out because we have a good life now. And we just die. And that's the end of it. But, but our society, our culture says, well, it's just going to work out. And, and they point to stories where things just work out. So, for instance, uh, they might uh, they might tell you about uh, Sergei Sudev, a college student in Moldova, a journalism student who had not seen his uncle in 10 years. But apparently he made a really good impression on his uncle because when his uncle died, he left him nine hundred and fifty million euros. And instantaneously, he went from college journalist student to one of the richest men in all of Moldova. Like, well, that's a good day, right? Here's 950 million euros from your uncle. Man, let's all stop and pray now. Dear Lord, may we have an uncle, right? I guess that's what we're doing now. We're like, just, just, I just need one uncle, Lord Jesus. Or, or maybe even uh, in 1992, there's a story that ran about a 17-year-old waitress in Cleveland who served a guy named Bill Paxson uh, a meal daily at the restaurant that she was working at. And Bill, being a widower and had no children, uh, the waitress began to help him as he aged around the house and helped him with errands and stuff. And upon his death, Mr. Paxton left this waitress uh, $500,000. Hey, things just work out. Sipping, you know, serendipity is, is it, it'll happen. I just do some good stuff. I live okay. And it'll, it'll just work out. That's not the greatest story. That is a roll of the dice. That is Las Vegas's gospel. And listen, Las Vegas is designed for you to lose. It's mapped out that way. That's why they still exist. Listen, that's the way the world is too. It's designed for people to lose, to trust in their own goodness. 
I think that we look a lot more like this. In, in the year 2000, there's a homeless man in Bolivia who was to receive $6 million from his ex-wife's inheritance. But when the police went to tell him, he ran from them for fear they were trying to arrest him. He's never been found. He ran away from $6 million out of fear. Or an Asian lady who who left $4 billion to her feng shui master upon the promise that he would give her eternal life. We're, we're much more apt. The scriptures much more apt to tell us that we are duped and foolish and scared and we run away from the riches of God's grace that he wants to lavish upon us. But if God is the highest... And the most powerful God. And if the end is to bring praise to his gloriousness, then we can have assurance that what he says he will do to accomplish that glory will take place. And he says that promising his children with an inheritance according to his purpose, who works all things according to the counsel of his will, is how it ends. And if that's the case, then we have a better story. World, stop running. Stop being afraid. Be accountable for who you are and let your creator give you more than you could ever ask for or imagine. We've got to tell them because because this God does not change, because this God is sure, because this God is loving. There's nothing about this God that you don't truly desire. All the things you most long for are found in him. And this allows us to offer assurance of the spirit to the praise of his glory. Tell your friends the best story. Tell them they can live in assurance and peace outside themselves by the power of the Holy Spirit. That if they are listening to what you're saying and it brings a conviction of sin on their hearts followed by a joy of forgiveness, then tell them that's it. See, that's the work of the Spirit. That's the work that I can't do. I can just tell you about it. But when you you fall into this godly sorrow, and then you know these ways of joy that takes care of that sorrow, this great heart of gratitude, the Holy Spirit's doing something that I can't do. Something miraculous is happening in your life. Follow Jesus. Submit to him. Surrender to him. Change your whole world because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And tell them, tell them it's the most assuring thing they can have. Tell them it's the most restful place they can be. Tell them, tell them this is the best story. There is no one else like Jesus Christ. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Lord Jesus, there is no God like you. Not one. They all bow down to you. They are all exposed by you. 
They are all put down by you. God, because you are gracious enough to reveal what is true and right. And God, we we ask for forgiveness, God, because we run from you. You want to give us your grace. We want to run away from it and chase the things of the world. Lord, we want to offer the very best we have to those which have no eternal significance at all, Lord, has no eternal value. We want to give it to them because they say, hey, you'll be happiest here. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us for such foolishness. Lord, if there's anybody here who doesn't follow you as Lord and Savior, may today be the day of salvation for them. May today be the day where they realize that Jesus Christ is the only true everlasting God of the universe. And let them for the first time be able to say, Lord Jesus, you're God and I'm not. Forgive me. I'm following you with my life. And Lord, for for the rest of us, Lord, May this be a Sabbath day, a Sabbath rest that reflects the eternal rest. And may this Sabbath rest light us up, Lord Jesus. May today's Sabbath rest make us truly excited about what you have done for the sake of your glorious praise. And let us today in this Sabbath rest exalt your name, walk around our houses, eat meals, play with our kids, see family and friends, and just enjoy being truly alive because we know we're part of a life everlasting. And then tomorrow, Lord, when we wake up and we put on the hat of ambassador and we go out into the real world, may may that joy and that assurance, but may it not have faded in our time of rest. May we go. May we go and tell this better story. May we go and tell that you save us. May we see a great salvation in our homes, in our workplaces, at our schools, in this Metro West area, Lord, around the globe. We trust you for these things, Lord, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.